This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. He's got to be here. That's the spot. Okay. Off the tiles go. Off the roof comes apart. Then people say, what are you doing to my roof? Never mind. More important. And you can imagine, can you imagine when they take off that last tile and look down? Oh, we did it right there. He is right down there. Don't drop the tile on him. All right. And then they get the four ropes, attach it to the rope to every corner, carefully lower the bed with the paralyzed man down in front there, and the man lands, the paralyzed man lands right in front of the Lord. Wow, that's wonderful. Now, when the Lord saw this sight, his primary focus was not on the condition of the paralyzed man. That's not what he saw talked about in verse 2. It says, it doesn't say, and Jesus seeing the paralyzed man. It says, and Jesus seeing their faith. So the Lord didn't just look at the paralyzed man on the road below, but he also looked up at those four men up there holding the ropes, and he sees faith. He sees faith. He sees faith of the paralyzed man, of course. But the Lord sees the faith of the four men up there holding the ropes. And what kind of faith does he see? Does the Lord see? Well, first of all, the Lord sees an active faith. It's not a passive faith. It's an active faith. Those men went to a lot of work to bring their friend to the house. And those four men went to a lot of work to not be willing to give up when there was a big crowd there, they did not say, oh, well, you know, there's no way, sir, let's know you another day. No. They went to a lot of work when they went up on the roof, when they took the roof apart, when they, that was an active faith that saw no obstacles. And that's what active faith does. Active faith does not see obstacles. It sees challenges that will be overcome. Laughs. Faith. Mighty faith. The promise sees the promises of God, laughs at possibilities in Christ, it shall be done. That's what they did. 
And because they had a faith with works. It was an act of faith, as James 2.14 puts it, James 2.14. What doth it profit? You four men, what doth it profit? My brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? What doth it profit if you believe that the Lord can heal this person if you don't get up on the roof and take those tiles off? Is he gonna be healed just because of your faith with no works on your, no. James 2.17, James 2.17, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. You can say to those four men, your faith is dead. You will not get the healing of your friend unless you have the works to do it. Faith without works, James 2.20, faith without works is dead. Many verses in James 2 about that. Okay, now, this was not for this people, these four men, this was not just a, hey guys, let's bring our paralyzed friend to see if Jesus can heal him. This was not an experiment for them. It was an expectation. They knew their friend would be healed. And we can imagine them talking to their, can you imagine them talking to their paralyzed friend as they're going down? I don't know what his name was, maybe it was Ralph. Ralph, you're gonna be healed. Ralph, today's the last day you're gonna be paralyzed. Ralph, you're gonna get, we're no longer gonna be carried around. That's the kind of faith those four men had. That's the kind of faith that the leper and the centurion had as well. It's not like if you can do it, do it. But it was like, we know you can do it. The leper had the faith of the Lord's ability. He said in Mark 8.2, in the previous chapter, behold, there came a leper, worshiped him and saying, if thou wilt, not if thou can, but if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Thou canst. The leper wasn't sure the Lord was willing, but the centurion was sure of the Lord's ability and of his willingness, for he said in the previous chapter that the centurion said about a servant, I'm a man under authority, having soldiers under me. I say to this man, go, he goeth. To another, come, he cometh. To my servant, do this, he doeth it. He said, I know you can do this. I know you've got servants that can't be seen that'll do this. So the Lord not only saw an active faith on the part of these men, he also saw a humble faith. This was a humble faith. I mean, those men didn't say, well, somebody asked the Lord to come over to this house here and heal our our friend. No, no. They said, we're gonna bring our friend to the Lord. That's humility. And he not only saw a humble faith, he not only saw an active faith, he saw a simple faith, a simple faith. Their request of those four men was no words. They didn't say, hey, Lord, can you heal our friend down there or up there? Yeah, he didn't say that. They didn't say anything as a matter of fact. They didn't need to speak because their actions spoke it all. What they did spoke it all. They just lowered the man in front of the Lord and that's all they had to say. And then when the Lord looked up, he saw this anticipation, this expectation, this confidence that the Lord was gonna heal their friend, the happiness. Now the Lord goes to reward their faith in a very wonderful way. He turns to a man, the paralyzed man in verse two, and said unto the sick of the palsy, son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. So first of all, the Lord addresses this paralyzed man with the title of son. That's wonderful. It's like saying child. Reminds me of my five-year-old grandson, Colton, with leukemia, who came over to the house for dinner on Friday, last Friday night, a couple days ago, and I was watching him 
and he just would run to his mom and bury his head in her side and wrap his arms around his mom. Why? Comfort, comfort. It's kind of like this, a very tender thing when the Lord calls this man son. It's a very tender address. It's really an address of assurance. Son, as a father would not deny a son, I'm going to give this son is assurance. Just like the thief on the cross who was in desperate need of assurance, he knew he was going to die. He wasn't worried about dying. He was worried about what's going to happen to him after he dies. He wants the Lord, can you just remember me? Remember me when you get to your kingdom? And the Lord, in a, such a very tender way, same way, from the cross said in Luke 23, 43, Jesus, Luke 23, 43, Jesus saith, said to him, verily I say unto thee, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. So there he is. There's that man on the cross, that thief on the cross. He's scared. He's anxious. He's worried. Here's this paralyzed man also. He's scared. He's anxious. He's worried. What's he worried about? Well, one of my friends don't choose the right place to lower me down through the roof. What if Jesus has moved on to some other place in the house there and I get let down the wrong place? What if my friends drop me? You know, what if Jesus gets angry? He's been interrupted. He's in the middle of teaching. There's this man who gets lowered down. What if the enemies of the Lord block him from healing me? So the Lord sees all these thoughts in his heart, his worry and anxiety, and he says to him, son, be of good cheer. That paralyzed man, to hear that through the battles. We talked about in the breaking of bread earlier this morning, we, we talked about, Ken brought up a hymn and said that there was a part of that hymn that said the Lord had unshaken love, unshaken love. And so here was the Lord unshaken by all that was going on there and through the discouragement of, of a group of people who th were thinking evil thoughts against him, the Lord breaks through and says, son, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Now, if you were to say to a person today, what would make you feel good cheer? Be of good cheer, your money's gonna increase. Be of good cheer, your stocks are gonna double in the stock market. Be of good cheer, you're gonna marry the person of your dreams. Be of good cheer, you're gonna make so much accomplishments in life. Be of good cheer, you're gonna retire early and you're gonna go live in Hawaii. Be of good cheer, you're gonna have a great reputation, everybody's gonna admire you, they're gonna, they're gonna praise you. Be of good cheer, you're gonna be healed from your cancer, from your diabetes, from your heart disease. This is what people typically think of when they think of be of good cheer. Be of good cheer, these are the things that'll make me happy. But be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you? Oh, people are thinking today, you can keep that be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you, just give me the be of good cheer that I'm gonna be healed, that I'm gonna have a great reputation, I'm gonna have money, I'm gonna have possessions, enjoy myself, be successful. That's what I want, I want that be of good cheer, but the be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven? Now, come on. And the reason that people think that way today is because we live in a day of Esau. This is a day of Esau who when presented with the be of good cheer, here's some food for your hungry belly, or be of good cheer, here's a birthright to be God's man, God's representative on earth, 
the day of Esau said, and that's where he lived the day of Esau. Esau said in Genesis 25, 32, Genesis 25, 32, Esau said, behold, I am at the point to die, and what profit shall this birthright do to me? What profit is it thy sins are forgiven thee? And most people join Esau today and say, what good is a birthright to me? I need something for the here and now. And most people say, what good is sins forgiven to me? I need something for the here and now. But the Lord said to this man, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. And when the Lord did that, he was fulfilling, carrying out, doing his mission for which he came to earth to bring forgiveness of sins, which he would then, the basis for which, accomplish on the cross. That was on the cross where we just were this morning. We're again reminding, remembering, as the Lord said in Matthew 26, 28, Matthew 26, 28, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Now in verse two, it's very important and very significant to see one word in that, and that word is not another word. It's very important to see the word be and not are when he said, thy sins be forgiven thee. There's a big difference from him saying, the Lord did not say, thy sins are forgiven thee. He said, thy sins be forgiven thee. And that's not a statement that his sins had been forgiven, as in thy sins are forgiven thee. That's a command. Like this morning, if I would say to Ken, Ken, those canopies be up. <laughs> All right? It's a command. See, it's a command as if the Lord said, with my voice, I command that your sins are forgiven, be forgiven. That's the same commanding voice that the Lord used in the Genesis 1-3 on the creation of light, Genesis 1-3, when he commanded light, says in Genesis 1-3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And this is the same commanding voice the Lord used when he commanded life into that dead body of Lazarus in John eleven forty three. John eleven forty three, When he had said thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound head and foot, with grave clothes. His, his, his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto him, loose him, let him go. That's the same commanding voice that the Lord used in the previous chapter in, in verse three, Matthew 8, 3, Matthew 8, 3, Jesus put forth his hands and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. That's the same commanding voice that the Lord uses for us to command that our sins be forgiven, our souls to be cleansed on the day, at the time, when we received the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. That's what happens to everyone who comes to the Lord as a dirty, rotten sinner, thirsty for God, and the Lord Jesus points to that person and says, be forgiven, be cleansed. That's the commanding voice that he gave to the paralyzed man. A free pardon where the paralyzed man, what did the paralyzed man do to get this wonderful pardon of forgiven sins? Well, he couldn't do anything, he was paralyzed, he couldn't even talk. He could do nothing, it was 100% a gift of grace. That's what grace looks like. This is what grace looks like. It's so great a gift, so undeserved. Now, 
the big, big question that's on the table here is that why did the Lord start with forgiveness of sins when the man had, was needed to be healed? He's paralyzed already. So why do you start with forgiveness of sins? Why didn't you say you are healed and your sins are forgiven? Why didn't you do that? Why did he say your, fins are, your sins are forgiven and later he's healed? Well, several reasons, but one of soul sickness is more important. Is there a person whose body is healed and not his soul? Absolutely, yes. Is there a person whose soul is healed and their body is not healed? Absolutely, yes. So again, why did the Lord start with first, son, be of good cheer, thy sins are forgiven? Okay, maybe we can kind of get a picture like this. I want you to picture in your minds a person, a convicted criminal condemned to death. He's on death row. He's on death row. Get that, okay. This person also has very severe diabetes, very severe diabetes. He has to check his sugar level throughout the day. He's taking insulin all the time, his diabetes. He's lost toes over his diabetes. He's very sick. He's got a lot of issues with the diabetes. Now, picture the time of his execution that has come. And the cell door opens for his final walk to his execution. And now he's walking to the execution room. Now picture a doctor running up to him and saying, I've got a wonderful cure for your diabetes. An injection. And the doctor injects him with the injection, and instantly the man is cured from his diabetes. And the doctor says, there, now you're cured from your diabetes. You'll never have to check your blood sugar again. You'll never have to be injected with insulin again. But he's still on his way to his execution, okay? Even though his diabetes is cured. So which of the two statements does that man want to hear? Be of good cheer, your diabetes is cured. Or be of good cheer, the governor has issued a pardon and your execution has been canceled. What difference does it make if his diabetes is killed for the short time he has to live because he's on his way to his execution? The cure of the diabetes pales in the face of his looming execution. And anything short of a pardon of mercy is just inconsiderable. The same is true with regard to physical healing of the lost. What difference does it make if an ailment is cured for the short amount of time that a person has to live if his sins are not forgiven and he's facing an eternity of hell? The cure of a physical problem pales in the face of being judged for sins and being cast into hell. Anything short of a pardon of mercy for sins that they've been forgiven and the eternity hell's been canceled is inconsiderable. And that's the reason why the Lord said to this man, really good news that's gonna make you happy in verse three, son, be of good cheer, thy sins are for, be forgiven thee. And the reason why the Lord did not address his paralysis at first is because the Lord sees the present problem in relation to the future unending problem and he addresses the more important future problem. That's the sight that you and I need to have when we see lost people, that the most important problem is their future problem, where am I gonna spend eternity? And if that man were only told that his sins were forgiven and not healed, 
he's a winner. He's a winner that day, paralysis and all. But if that paralyzed man was only told that you've been healed from your paralysis and your sins were not forgiven, he's a loser. He's a loser that day. Hezekiah looked at the immediate problem when he was close to death with a sickness. And here's a man who was the highest position in Israel. He was the king. And he says, you know what really robs me of my peace? It's not this sickness. Isaiah 38, 17. Isaiah 38, 17. Behold, for peace I had bitterness. But thou in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption. For thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. There he is, talking about the day of his great transformation. The day of Hezekiah's great transformation. That was the day when God in love saved his soul. When God cast all the sins of Hezekiah behind his back. Now comes a problem. The first opposition, real strong opposition, is, is now coming. It comes from a certain group of people in this large crowd, group of the scribes, group of the scribes, ones who were scribes. They copied the scriptures. They were responsible for the scriptures. Their opposition is strong. They're accusing the Lord of blasphemy. The Lord is here fulfilling his mission, bringing the greatest benefit that he could to man, a pronouncement of the forgiveness of sins, and now the Lord's condemned by this group who's saying he's committing blasphemy. Now, the basis for them accusing him of blasphemy is given to us in Mark 2, Mark 2, 6 and 7, parallel passage. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why doth this man speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God? They had just heard that Jesus had forgiven sins and they reasoned no one can forgive sins except for God, and they were 100% right. They were 100% correct. Only God forgives sins, as it says in Isaiah 43, 25. Isaiah 43, 25, God says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake, and will not remember thy sins. They were 100% right because God forgives sins. That's what Micah says, Micah 7.18, Micah 7.18. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity? They were 100% right because they remembered from Exodus, from Exodus 34.6, that it's only God who forgives sins when the Lord proclaimed his name to Moses. And it says in Exodus 34.6, the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's God. They were 100% right. Only God forgives sins. But they were 100% wrong in saying the Lord was guilty of blasphemy because they ignored a few other important scriptures. They ignored the scripture of Isaiah 7.14, Isaiah 7.14, where it was predicted, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. There would be a son born who would have the name, the unique name, Emmanuel, which means God with us. That son would be God who would be with us. They ignored the scripture in Isaiah 9, 6, Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us, unto the Jewish people, unto us, a child is born unto us. A son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders. His name will be called, wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, 
the child that would be born would be called the mighty God because he was the mighty God. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.